electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed... I love being the Samsung. It's a gift from God. Wouldn't you agree? Martin Shkreli, the hedge fund manager, investor, and pharmaceutical CEO, is a social media mainstay exhibiting a questionable social conscience. He raises the price of this drug, which benefits probably the most sympathetic group of people on the planet, babies, pregnant women, and AIDS patients. By jacking the price of a life-saving drug 5,000%, he earns the title of the most hated man in America. But a quick look at his posts on social media reveals that's fine by him. Are you gonna change the price? No. He wants Martin Shkreli to be a household name. And I'm not sure that he minds that it's infamy, that it's it's a notorious name. Despite being indicted on several counts of securities fraud, this internet troll doesn't think he has to answer to anybody. No, no questions from CNBC, I'm sorry. Until one Facebook post gets the attention of the Secret Service. Oh, you done went too far now, you stupid prick. Can Martin Shkreli learn his lesson? Or is the pharma bro hooked on his own hype? New York City, 8 million stories, and mine's the best. In the summer of 2015, legendary hip-hop group The Wu-Tang Clan is in the midst of the controversial private sale of its album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. To hip-hop personality and self-professed Wu-Tang fanatic Charlemagne the God, the sale is a statement. It, it was actually to bring the value back to music. That's what they wanted to do. Like, they wanted to create, create this singular piece of art. Now, this has been carved in nickel silver. We decided to encase the world-famous logo of the Wu-Tang Clan within this beautiful pattern, treat it as an art piece, which it is. The Wu-Tang Clan is protesting the rampant piracy in the music industry. If the public isn't willing to pay for their music, they won't make it available to them. The terms of the agreement say that the buyer cannot share the album with anyone. Lifelong fans will conceivably never get to hear it. This won't be an album for the people, but for the elite. More specifically, one singular member of the elite. But even given that fact, there's one thing the Wu-Tang Clan couldn't have anticipated. The buyer is going to be the most hated man in America. Yeah, I don't think Wu-Tang should be looked upon negatively for selling that album to Martin. Like, they sold him an album. Like, we didn't know he was a douche. Some people saw signs. In the early 2000s, Caroline Stewart is a Wall Street stock analyst who publishes recommendations for biotech stocks. And one morning, after advising against a stock Shkreli is high on, she says he ambushes her with an unsolicited and insulting phone call. There are times when you get nasty phone calls from people who, are, who hold the opposite viewpoint as you on any particular stock. 
but he's the only instance I could think of where it was actually meant to ridicule. And it quickly devolved into sort of a mockery of me where he started to ask questions that were obviously um, meant to just make me feel stupid. But years later, they meet again when Shkreli is running a hedge fund of his own. And this time, things are much more cordial. He offered to take me on as a consultant. And I was, again, extremely grateful, and I, and I jumped at the chance. The company is called MSMB Capital, a hedge fund that specializes in biotech and pharmaceutical investing. It's a red-hot industry on Wall Street and one Stewart knows well. She works for the fund as an analyst, but beyond researching stocks, she doesn't know much about the inner workings of the company. It was very strange because as far as I could tell, there was no audited performance record, and I didn't know how much were he had under, in essence, under management. He was very secretive. He was very, very secretive about things. Well, ostensibly, MSNB Capital was supposed to be a hedge fund, a true hedge fund. It's supposed to have equal amounts of short and long positions, so it minimizes the risk to investors of a substantial loss. Um, that's how he pitches to investors. Shkreli tells investors that in the bustle of high-powered investment banks in the heart of the world's biggest financial market, he will work harder and smarter than everyone else. There were maybe four of us crammed into this little room, and. It was intense. Um, it was by far the most intense work experience I'd ever had. It seems to be paying off as investors begin to get behind the fund and its leader. CNBC reporter Dan Mangan. He made connections with people. He would make a connection with one person, that person would introduce another person, and he cultivated these relationships among investors, people that ended up being willing to put capital into this new hedge fund. People on Wall Street are there for a reason. It's because they want to make money, and money is very important to them. And so everybody's kind of attracted by it, and everybody wants to, you know, jump on that coattail. But one day, that coattail drags them into the mud. He took a, a very aggressive short position on a stock called Erexogen, and that stock trade failed spectacularly. It blew up, and it lost all of MSNB's, or effectively all of MSNB Capital's money. Um, so he was broke. According to Stewart, Shkreli keeps the destruction of the fund to himself, even hiding it from employees. But for days afterwards, Stewart can see Shkreli's roaring fire extinguished. He seemed very deflated and you know, the lights in the office were off. He was slumped in his chair, he had his hoodie up. And I, I felt bad for him, because um, this is a normally very hyper person, if you will, and very aggressive, ambitious, who suddenly, you know, was more like a, a dog with his tail between its legs. And it was sometime a little later that he told me that the fund had blown up, and then he told me that he owed Bank of America Merrill Lynch $10 million. According to the government, Shkreli never reveals that detail to investors. In fact, he's been keeping a lot from them. There's no evidence that at any point he was trading in the manner that he was describing to the investors. There's no evidence that he had the amount of assets under management that he claimed to have. There is no evidence that he performed well with their money. There is significant evidence that he quickly burned through their money that they placed with him. 
But the government asserts that Shkreli continues to tell investors everything is doing great. He's Martin. He keeps on going. He turns what's negative news and he puts a really positive spin on it and he keeps going. Within a few days, he had come up with a survival plan. He starts this new hedge fund, MSNB Healthcare, and he follows the same pattern that he did with MSNB Capital. He lures investors in with the promises of um, that the, 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 you know, the fund's going to be fully hedged, it's going to behave in the proper manner, it has this auditor, it has this law firm that keeps an eye on things. And he has this great track record. And none of that was true. But MSMB Healthcare is only the beginning. He brags, boasts, and smooth talks his way into getting investors to put money into a much more ambitious venture, a new drug company of his own creation, Retrofin. Instead of like the classic scenario of a guy in his laboratory slaving away for years to create the drug that's going to save people, Martin is looking for kind of a market opportunity, a financial market opportunity, in much the same way that he claimed to be looking for market opportunities in buying pharmaceutical stocks. The difference here, instead of buying a stock, an equity, he's buying an actual asset, a drug. There are virtual biotech companies, and a lot of companies get formed because you have an entrepreneur who is able to scour the universe for maybe drugs that have failed in the past, drugs that were put aside from pharma companies because they weren't going to be profitable enough. You can even go to academia, right, where a lot of the work is done and say, oh, this looks like a promising compound. I'll in-license it from you, and I'll develop it. But Shkreli needs money to buy the licenses for these drugs. And he owes investors and banks millions of dollars. He has a big hole to fill and knows one way to fill it. So immediately after he formed the company, of course, he's on a, on a mad dash to collect money. Shkreli never tells investors that MSMB Capital is broke. But he suddenly announces that he is closing the hedge fund, despite its purported success, to focus entirely on retrofin. Which surprised just about every investor, because they're like, well, why? Everything's going great. Why would you close this up? He said, you can either take the money in cash and get it within a month or so, or you can get the equivalent amount in retrofin stock. He was hoping, clearly, that people would take the retrofin stock because that delays having to pay these investors to make them whole. This is akin to uh, you know, a performer who's got a bunch of plates spinning on uh, sticks, and he's keeping the plates spinning. Most investors ask to take the cash from MSMB Capital, but Shkreli doesn't have the money. And many investors believe he simply ignores them and does whatever he wants. Martin, as smart as he is, is completely fiscally irresponsible. Just, you know, as soon as he raises money, I think he almost views it as his. I think that Martin knew full well that he was misrepresenting what he was doing with people's money. And I think that the, the history shows here, the evidence shows, that instead of doing kind of the grunt work of managing people's money on a daily basis in a way that he claims to be managing it, he's looking for a quick hit, a quick return. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. After MSMB Capital goes broke in 2011, Martin Screlly looks to pursue a different business model. He's not going to bet on Wall Street. Wall Street is going to bet on him. His startup company, Retrofin, begins licensing relatively obscure medications. And in a move that will later make him infamous, he raises their prices. It's just the medicine his company needs and Retrofin returns enormous profits. But despite getting his bragging rights back, things aren't so rosy within Retrofin, particularly from the perspective of its board of directors. He was still relatively young, and they saw him as not having the skill set necessary to be the CEO of a publicly traded company that was looking to grow. They saw him as more of kind of an innovator, a creator, an idea, business strategy guy. And Martin did not take that well at all. Shkreli stands up to the board of directors, and they don't flinch. He's fired from the company. But once again, Martin is Martin. The sun will rise another day. He creates another company in Retrofin's image called Turing Pharmaceuticals. And before long, he becomes famous, but for troubling reasons. CNBC biotech and pharmaceuticals reporter Meg Terrell. Martin Shkreli bought a drug that was decades old. It was used for very rare but serious infections that affect really vulnerable people. HIV patients, cancer patients, pregnant women, people with suppressed immune systems. And he raised the price by 5,000% overnight. Dr. Carlos Del Rio is a board member of the HIV Medicine Association. And he says Daraprim is a drug that treats a disease called toxoplasmosis, which can affect anyone. But in patients with immune system deficiencies, it can be extremely dangerous, even deadly. They'll get an abscess in the brain. That's called a toxoplasmosis encephalitis. They can get a meningitis. They can get an infection in their heart. In a pregnant woman, toxoplasmosis can lead to fetal loss and can lead to even a, if not a loss, a severely malformed or, or diseased baby. Ever since 1953, Daraprim has been an effective treatment for toxoplasmosis. But when Screlly raises the price of a single pill from $13.50 to $750, the treatment becomes far less available. When I would call my hospital and said, I need Daraprim, and they said, well, you know, we don't have it because in order to stock the medication, it used to cost us, you know, $3,000 to stock the medication. Now it's costing us a million dollars. What that means to a patient is, you know, somebody comes in with toxoplasmosis, they're in the ICU, they had a seizure, and it may take the hospital two to three days to get the medication that you need to give the patient right away. The HIV Medicine Association writes an open letter about the price hike, and it soon gains national attention. 
The New York Times does a story about this price hike, and instead of issuing this kind of like bland statement, you know, that business people often do in cases like this, Martin gives an interview, and he's unapologetic about this price hike. And Martin Scarley joins us now from the NASDAQ. He's the CEO of Touring Pharmaceuticals. Martin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Martin Shkreli embraced his role in the limelight uh, and, and seemed to do everything he could to stay there. Uh, at this price, Airprim is still actually on the low end of what orphan drugs cost, and we're certainly not the first company to raise drug prices. What's striking about Martin is, is that when he's in trouble like this and in a situation which will lead many people to hunker down and kind of like hope it all blows over, he sticks his neck out even further and dares people to cut it off. On camera, in front of the entire world, Shkreli doesn't apologize for the price hike. He makes his case for it. So, in essence, we're taking the revenue from Daraprim and trying to come up with a better, safer, more effective version of it. According to Dr. Del Rio and dozens of advocacy groups, Shkreli's case is bad medicine. It's an argument that simply holds no water, and there's no need for other drugs for, for, for toxoplasmosis. In September of 2016, the issue gains the attention of the two people in the center of the national spotlight. Where this young guy raised the price to a level that's absolutely ridiculous, and he looks like a spoiled brat to me. You want to know the truth? He looks like a spoiled brat. There's no excuse. Look, we, we want companies to get a fair return. That's the way our system works. There's no excuse from going from $13.50 to $750 for one pill. Shkreli argues that his little drug Daraprim was such a tiny part of the healthcare world that it wouldn't have an impact either on healthcare costs or directly on patients because he said that insurance should cover it. Dr. Del Rio says Shkreli isn't exactly wrong, but he's not on the right side either. In the big scheme of things, this is not the cost that our healthcare is going broke, but I think it's not the cost, but it's a symptom of what the problems are. I would say that Nothing that is being done is illegal, but I think it's immoral. And yes, I would qualify it as greedy. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. He is a brash self-promoter who's called himself the world's most eligible bachelor. But this morning, he was in handcuffs, accused of duping investors out of millions of dollars. On December 17th, 2015, Martin Shkreli is arrested and indicted on eight criminal counts of securities fraud by the Department of Justice. 
for his time with MSNB Capital and his subsequent dealings. Clearly, the charges aren't related to raising the price of Daraprim, but that doesn't mean he's off the hook for it. Another branch of government wants answers for that. In February 2016, the U.S. Congress brings him forward to testify about rapacious drug pricing. And the outspoken CEO is suddenly silent. What do you say to that signal pregnant woman who might have AIDS, no income, and she needs Daraprim in order to survive? What, what do you say to her when she has to make that choice? What do you say to her? On the advice of counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and respectfully decline to answer your question. Do you think you've done anything wrong? On the advice of counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and respectfully decline to answer your question. He gets dragged before Congress to testify and he's contemptuous. He's rolling his eyes, the congressman. Instead of like saying, you know, being respectful, he's taunting uh, the people that are, are criticizing him. You can look away if you like, but I wish you could see the faces of people, no matter what Ms. Redslaff says, who cannot get the drugs that they need. And by the way... And then when he was finally excused because he kept telling them he wasn't going to answer their questions, he immediately tweeted that the congressmen are imbeciles. Despite being in the crosshairs of the U.S. government, Shkreli apparently believes he has more important feuds to rectify. Well, Donkey of the Day for Friday, January 29th goes to Martin Shkreli. Do you know who that is? Yes. Yes. Hip-hop radio personality Charlemagne the God. Donkey of the Day is a segment that I do on my show, The Breakfast Club. I give people the credit they deserve for being stupid. And I mean, I think history has shown that nobody deserves a lot more credit for being stupid than Martin Shkreli. After buying the single copy of the Wu-Tang's album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin for reportedly more than $2 million, a TMZ interview with Wu-Tang's ghost-faced killer turns Shkreli from an avid supporter to a bitter enemy. I gotta ask you guys, man. You guys know that guy bought you guys this $2 million, your CD for $2 million at the auction. Yeah, that shit head. Yeah, 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 shit head brought it. You know what I mean? Martin, Martin Shkreli. Yeah, no, like, Shkreli is really sensitive about any perceived slights. That wasn't a perceived slight. That was an obvious slight. But, um, yeah, he uh, seemed to jump at the opportunity to seem to be threatening ghost-faced killer in a video back. And... I think TMZ ran with all of it, which probably thrilled him. Dennis, I'm gonna call you by your government name. You're not a ghost face killer. I'm sorry. It started with Martin getting online and just talking reckless, you know what I'm saying? With some guys, he, he rented some goons and he had these goons standing behind him in a video and he was just talking real greasy. You know, at the end of the day, um, I'm very sorry for you. You're an old man. You're an old man that's lost his relevance and you're trying to reclaim the spotlight from my spotlight. That's not gonna work, Ghost. Dennis. Ghost-faced killer isn't one to back down. He comes back with a video posted on his website, dynamitesticks.com. Yo, man, you hilarious, man. I, I, you must be on Riddling or something, man. You know what I mean? Check this out, man. It's like, yo, you a fake-ass supervillain, man. Ghostface is just entertaining the people. That's not even really energy for Martin. That's energy for us. You know what I'm saying? And I, I appreciate that. This is the guy right here that planned on challenging me. 
the man with the 12-year-old body. This who he be. His name is Scarelli right there. When y'all see him, you know what I mean? Oh, he's having a ball, Pee-wee Screlly. And the fact that he looks so much like Pee-wee Herman. He really does look like Pee-wee Herman in the face. A lot. You're watching The Breakfast Club. After Charlemagne the God makes him donkey of the day, Screlly asks to come on the show for a face-to-face. -face. The Breakfast Club gladly obliges. He yes. came in here and tried to shake my hand. I said, nope, I can't shake your hand. I yes. need to know what you're all about first. All right. So first question, are you a privileged, entitled prick? No, come on. No, nah, I didn't shake his hand because I knew he was a prick. I mean, I just knew he was a prick from what I saw, you know, in, in interviews and, you know, what I read in the news and, you know, I, I just knew he wasn't my type of person. All right. And Ghostface is going to smack the shit at you. We'll see, man. Bring it. I wish he would. All right, I <laughs> wish he would. <laughs> the leader of the Deuce Tang clan, <laughs> the Dizzle, ladies and gentlemen. In the meantime, while awaiting his trial on eight felony counts, Screlly doesn't shy away. He goes all in on social media, challenging friends and foes alike. New York City, eight million stories. The mine's the best. There's two things I have that you don't. Number one, and number two. If anyone dared slap me, oh Lord, I wish they would. I'm the toughest guy in these streets. And there is seemingly no end to who he'll argue with online. Yeah, ask your question, stupid. No, I don't, I don't talk to anybody from Canada, I'm so sorry. From New Yorker? What's the square root of this phone number? <laughs> you lost I see your foolish face here. You uh, need to lose weight. I'm having fun here. Through all his trolling and his reputation from raising the price of a life-saving drug, Martin Screlly soon becomes known as the Pharma Bro and the most hated man in America. If he wants to be a household name, mission accomplished. And there's also that musical <laughs> about him. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say the name. <laughs> it's called uh, a Farmer Bro, an American douche call. A great American hero of our time. A moral person, a Samaritan, a fine upstanding citizen. It's Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli is living the American dream. He went to one of the shows, and soon afterwards, he tweets at one of the creators of the play, and I said, he said uh, um, something to the effect, uh, heard your play sucked, too bad you're a liberal. So again, it's like classic Martin. Classic Martin is ever apparent in his constant confrontations with the media, which he gladly shares with the world. Dan Mangan himself makes an appearance on Screlly's Facebook page. Hi, this is Dan. Hi, this is Martin Shkreli. Hi, Martin. How are you? Good. And he said, I'm ordering you not to call me, contact me, or call my lawyer anymore. You're asking me not to contact your attorney? Why not? Because I don't want you talking to my attorneys. He was basically gaming me, or he was trying to game me, because he's saying, you know, I don't want to talk to you. I, I have no interest in talking to Dan Mangan from CNBC. How dare you call me? I have no interest at all. I'm ordering you. But at the same time, he's recording this. It's all an act, or a lot of it's an act. We don't respect you or your organization enough to ever give you our side of the story. CNBC is on our blacklist. Clearly, 
When American Greed requests an interview, he succinctly declines. One interaction with the media goes too far. There was a journalist who had written a piece about Donald Trump gaslighting America. Um, she caught Martin Shkreli's attention, and he asked her to the inauguration, apparently. And I think she responded, I would rather eat my own organs. And then he started this sort of social media obsession with her, um, even going so far as to Photoshop his face onto pictures of her and her husband or boyfriend. And, you know, she felt harassed and notified Twitter, and that led to him being banned from Twitter. But free reign on Twitter isn't the only freedom Screlly risks losing. He faces eight felony counts, potential decades in jail, and a public that hates him. Can a jury possibly be impartial? Juror Lois Pounds. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him and I'm saying, he looks familiar to me, he looks familiar to me. And I just can't place him. And then somewhere along the line, it just clicked who he was. After nearly a week of trying to seat a jury from a hostile public, 12 impartial citizens and six alternates are finally selected to serve on Martin Shkreli's jury. The government makes its case. The government's case really was that uh, Martin Shkreli formed this hedge fund, MSNB Capital, um, and he sort of, they say, hoodwinked people into investing with him, uh, lost their money, and then founded another hedge fund, MSNB Healthcare, did basically the same thing there, then founded a biotech company that he called Retrofin, and the whole idea was that he was funneling money from Retrofin um, to his hedge fund investors because he had lost their money. The investors in this case were the most damning evidence, I think, because they said, he told me this, and this is what happened. He told me X, Y, and Z was going to happen. It was actually A, B, and C. That was very damning evidence. It was impossible to get over that. And what Braffman's argued is like, well, they're rich people. They should know better. And who cares, really? I mean, it's like they got their money back. It's a crucial point for the defense. Retrofin becomes a wildly successful company. And investors, despite many not wanting to invest initially, make multiple times their investments. So defense attorney Benjamin Braffman argues, where's the harm? I mean, it's more argument to the jury saying, hey, look, come on, what's going on here? Why would you bother convicting this guy? What Braffman wants jurors to believe, what Braffman suggests the public should believe, is that there's Martin Shrelly kind of like the comic book figure, the pro wrestling villain. And then there's Martin Trelli, the brilliant young mathematical, financial, scientific genius who has nothing but altruistic impulses. And don't pay attention to this kind of freaky, nasty troll over here. Pay attention to this really nice guy over here and believe what this guy says. Don't believe what this guy says. Or if he says anything, it's, he's just kidding. He's just kidding. No, they're one person. In the meantime, even though he already has the U.S. government shining its spotlight on him, Shkreli doesn't stop bringing attention to himself. There were times when it seemed like Shkreli was tweeting from inside the courthouse. It was really bizarre. I don't cover a lot of court cases. I'm a pharmaceutical industry reporter, but I don't know that that kind of thing happens frequently. Martin is um, 
unusual in a whole bunch of ways. And he's particularly unusual for the fact that, you know, the, the one time when you would expect somebody like this to keep their mouth shut, to keep their head down, and to let their lawyer do their job, he does the opposite. He goes into a room, I've never seen anything like this before, where a defendant comes into a room and does an impromptu press conference with reporters. He came in there and commented on our coverage of the case, on the prosecution's approach. He insulted them and called them the junior varsity. Afterwards, we asked his attorney what he thought about the fact that Shkreli did that, and Martin leaned over and said, I can do whatever I want. And how did you feel about Martin coming to talk to reporters today in the middle of the I trial? I'll do whatever he wants. I was stunned that you it happened, you want, yes. and I'm hoping he doesn't do it ever again. Nevertheless, the jury has to consider the facts of the case. And in the end, as the case goes to jury deliberation, the verdict is uncertain. It was really unclear. You have no idea what's going on in the room. And this was a really complicated case with a lot of counts, eight counts to decide on, three interrelated schemes. So um, they had a lot to talk about. It was really impossible to tell. We debated a lot, we talked a lot, and yeah, we took it very seriously. We took it seriously. I've been on several juries before. This was the most stressful. In August 2017, Lois Pounds and 11 other jurors sit in a room to determine Martin Shkreli's fate. It's hard, it's hard, but that's what we are there for as jurors. And I would hope that if I'm in that situation, God forbid, one day, that I'd have somebody that was, you know, open-minded, you know, and took it seriously. After almost five days of deliberation and almost 40 hours of debate, the jury finds Shkreli guilty of three of eight counts. When he and his attorneys came out of the courthouse, they declared victory. We're, I think, delighted in many ways with this verdict. Um, count seven uh, was the uh, government's uh, attempt to theorize that uh, robbed Peter to pay Paul, and the jury has spoken conclusively that Retrofin was not defrauded in this case. Uh, my investors made three to five times their money without any aid of any According sort. to Lois Pounds, the charges he is convicted of are straightforward and basically relate to whether or not Shkreli lied or misled investors to entice them to invest. It was easy to see that if you're supposed to have an auditor and you don't have an auditor and you present that, that's wrong. If you're supposed to have a fund administrator and you don't have that, that's wrong. If you provide false fund performance to your investors, that's wrong, and that's fraud. That's fairly easy to see. But Pounds believes the other charges are less clear-cut. She believes Shkreli had no intent to take investors or Retrofin's money. I think one juror said that his intent for retrofin was never to cause, you know, retrofin to lose money. And I think the term used by that individual was that was his baby. He wanted to make retrofin successful. If you want a company to be successful, the last thing you're going to do is cause it to lose money. This was a witch hunt of, of epic proportions, and maybe they found one or two broomsticks. But at the end of the day, uh, we've been uh, acquitted of the most important charges in this case, and I'm delighted to, to report that. Once again, Martin Scarelli seems to believe he's escaped unscathed. Immediately after he returned home, uh, after declaring victory outside the courthouse, he was like, drinking a beer on a live stream and talking about how he expected he might not get any jail time. How are you feeling? 
you know, uh, pretty good. You know, uh, there was a chance that the government could have put me in jail for 10 years and fined me $20 million, but right now I'm looking at uh, zero to six months. You may have gotten off and not guilty on some charges, but you were convicted of several fraud charges, which is serious. And I really believe that there's something emotionally off with him. Martin is a, uh, a brilliant young man, but sometimes uh, people's skills uh, don't uh, translate well. So uh, we will have some good discussions, but at the end of the day, you know, Martin, I think, has more than held his own in this case. I don't, I don't think I'm scared of the government. Uh, I call them junior varsity. Free on bail as he awaits sentencing, Shkreli returns to good old-fashioned trolling, and he targets an old friend, Charlemagne the God. So would you go back on The Breakfast Club now? Hell no. I would smack the shit out of him. <laughs> we have some... We have some mutual friends, so they're trying to keep the war from, you know, blowing up. I don't care about having peace with Martin Shkreli. It's like I don't care about having peace with Satan. Like, I don't care about Martin Shkreli. I, Martin Shkreli can suck my dick. A spat with a New York radio host is one thing. Shkreli has legions of supporters online who are willing to fight his fight or go after those who go after him. But when Shkreli targets a person who targeted him on the campaign trail, Hillary Clinton, he finds himself punching above his weight class. On Facebook, he posts a message which suggests, you know, the Clinton Foundation was involved in murders or covered up murders, and he suggests that he's willing to pay $5,000 to any of his readers who get a hair follicle out of her head. The Department of Justice says they're concerned and bring the issue up to the court. They want his bail revoked. When he apologized to the judge, right. you know, he said it never occurred to him that the Secret Service would have to get involved, that anybody would take it seriously. And he was, you know, embarrassed that anybody really thought he would do anybody harm. The judge is not amused. The judge uh, really focused on his making women feel uncomfortable from this journalist who, you know, he said he just, admired and wanted to sort of put his face next to in these pictures, uh, whom he made feel very uncomfortable, uh, to Hillary Clinton. To the judge, this isn't a humorous prank. She believes it's a comment that someone could take as a call to action. Well, the judge made the point that Shkreli doesn't know all of his followers on social media. It's impossible to predict how somebody will interpret something like that. She told him that he was harassing women and making them feel unsafe. Judge Kiyo Matsumoto revokes Shkreli's bail, and she sends him to await his time until sentencing in Brooklyn's Central Detention Center. Oh, you done went too far now, you stupid prick. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love the fact that that trolling actually eventually got him locked up, because nobody cares when you troll rappers, nobody cares when you troll hip-hop radio personalities, but take that trolling to a former first lady of the United States, a former senator, and now your dumbass is in jail. Good riddance. In March, Shkreli is sentenced to seven years in prison. He's currently serving his time at the Low Security Federal Correctional Institution in Fort Dix, New Jersey. One thing that strikes me is that it's hard to imagine when Martin Shkreli is gonna stop being, you know, Martin Shkreli. When he comes out, I don't expect him to go away. Anytime soon. 
Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.